You're listening to The Philip Jordan Show. Well, everybody, welcome into the Philip Jordan Show. I am your host, Philip Jordan, in studio host and producer of Dutch Football on I 6.9, the legend and Auburn writer for last word on college football. On today's show, I'll give my quick thoughts on the Super Bowl from Sunday. We'll give too long on that one just because it's Tuesday and everybody's seen the game. Obviously, would be in the most watched Super Bowl of all time. Also, Alabama's got to look for another offensive coordinator. Give my thoughts on that. Then joined by two great guests, Brandon Silvers, former Troy quarterback from 2013-2017. And also he has played in the AAF, the Spring League, and most recently the XFL last year. We'll talk to Brandon about all that, get his thoughts on the Super Bowl and the Troy coaching staff. And then I'll be joined by Matt Marshall from the Orlando Sentinel to hit on several college football topics. You can check out the Philip Jordan Show podcast over at wiregrassdailynews.com or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please follow, rate, and review. Leave a review, and I will read it on a future edition of this show. And if you leave just four stars, you are just a straight-up hater. You can email me at sports.philipjordan at gmail.com. 96.9 The Legend is your connection to classic country legends. But Digio Strategies has other options too. News Talk 103.9 is your source for America's top news and entertainment shows like Rick and Bubba in the morning, Glenn Beck from 9 till 11 a.m. and Clay Travis and Buck Sexton middays from 11 a.m. till 2 p.m. Sean Hannity, Lars Larson, Ben Shapiro, Matt Walsh and others fill your day with the latest news and views from America's top conservative voices. America at night and coast to coast am keep you company and connected throughout the night plus fox news the alabama radio network and wiregrass daily news keep you informed with national international state and local news and with more musical choices like all the hits 1067 kmx today's country 95.5 wtvy and music 1077 digio strategies gives you more choices and more variety listen on air online and on our apps 96.9 the legend is just the beginning like I said on the top, I wasn't going to spend too much time on Super Bowl because you all guys saw the game. You know what happened, so nothing here me recapping it is going to be shocker to you. But it's just really amazing, really, when you look at the Chiefs winning this championship. And, look, I picked against them against the Buffalo Bills and against the Baltimore Ravens. I just kind of felt like this team going road first time, it would be tough, and I just didn't – Always like what I saw out of Kansas City Chiefs this past season. Felt like, I mean, obviously the receiver struggles at time with drops. I think the Chiefs had more drops than anybody in the league. I thought at times Travis Kelsey just kind of looked like he slowed down a bit, but he was awesome throughout the playoffs. And then he just, at the end of it, you're in overtime. The 49ers go down there and they kick the field goal, go up 22 to 19. I looked over at somebody. I said, the Chiefs are going to win this because you just gave Patrick Mahomes a chance to win the game here in overtime, like I said, you're only up by three. He's going to go down there and figure out a way to get this team in the end zone. And the 49ers had opportunities early. I just look at the first possession. 49ers had a few good plays there. They were close to midfield. And Christian McCaffrey with that fumble. Now, I know the Kansas City Chiefs did not capitalize on that and score a touchdown. But still, that was a chance for 49ers to really take some big momentum to open the game, and they didn't do it. Had another 10-0 lead, 
during the second quarter after the Christian McCaffrey 21-yard touchdown catch from Juwan Jennings. And the 49ers played really good defensively most of this game. They also called some turnovers against this Chiefs team. Patrick Mahomes had an interception in the game. But at the same time, it's just in the day. You just cannot give Patrick Mahomes that opportunity at the end. I disagreed with taking the ball first before Niners, and I understand what they're talking about in the broadcast. Tony Romo was saying, look, they just went on a long drive, the Chiefs did. So the 49ers defense was out there a while on the drive that ended up with the, the tie for the Chiefs to send it to overtime. But I would have went on defense first, and here's why. Because you got to figure in this overtime situation that we're in that the Chiefs were going to score a touchdown regardless. Patrick Mahomes was going to get Kansas City into the end zone. I fully believe that, regardless whether they got the ball first or second in overtime. But then they go up by seven. Now, if you're the 49ers, you know exactly what you need to do. And then if you go down and score a touchdown, you go for two and you end it right there. And you really let the, the ball game go on that play if you go for two at the end. So I thought it should have went on defense. I mean, I get what Tony Romo was talking about, but still, I would have went on defense first in that one. And look, again, the Chiefs, a tremendous drive. Andy Reid just called a beautiful drive there. And then the run plays, fourth down runs by Patrick Mahomes. Look, he doesn't run a lot, but when he needs to get the yards on the ground, he's fully capable of doing so. And like I said, this was probably a down year for the Chiefs, or we all thought that. I'm sure that will strengthen the team, and particularly at the wide receiver position going into next season. So it'd be interesting to see. I mean, I think the Bengals are the best team against the Chiefs. They really have been outside of Tom Brady, uh, one year with the Patriots, and then another year there, of course, with the uh, with the Buccaneers in the Super Bowl. So we'll see. Uh, Chiefs won their third. Now, obviously, the GOAT talk has happened with uh, Patrick Mahomes, his third championship. He's 28 years old. But got a long way to go. I still say that one of the reasons why Tom Brady is the GOAT is because longevity. Play to his 45. Now, also, Patrick Mahomes needs to get about four more Super Bowls for that to happen. But he's close thing to it. And it's, it's just amazing how Brady leaves New England. Yeah, he wins the championship with Tampa Bay. But still, New England's down. They're no longer the dynasty in the league. And uh, quickly replaced by the Kansas City Chiefs. And Patrick Mahomes is that guy, you know, that fear you had and Tom Brady in those situations. And now teams are going to have it with Patrick Mahomes. Now, some news we got on Saturday, you know, here in the state of Alabama, uh, Ryan Grubb, he is going to be the offense coordinator for the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, not even going to be the Alabama offense coordinator, even though a few days earlier, so this news hit on Saturday that, I think Wednesday or Thursday, he got from people said, I am your new offensive coordinator. And now he is going to the Seahawks. And then there was also a story got out that Seattle waited to make this move when the 30-day transfer portal window was up for Alabama. Of course, that opened 30 days ago when Nick Saban retired. And I don't know, you can look at that as shady. I mean, pretty much doesn't get a player's opportunity to leave if they wanted to. But – uh yeah, he leaves and he goes to Seattle. And of course, coming from Washington, so kind of he's in the same area, obviously. And he had been working with Caleb DeBoer the last two years there at Washington, record setting offense, part of the development there. 
of Michael Penix. And you kind of kind of wonder where's Alabama go for here. And this time of year, we're in February. So finding an offensive coordinator is tough. Look, a lot of people are going to look at it, though, with Washington, Kalen Abor, that's his offense. So who's he going to bring in to kind of help run the kind of system, kind of offense he wants to run, a drop-back passing offense? Uh, AL.com put out a list of guys out there. Uh, one name is Kirby Moore. He worked at Fresno State with DeBoer. Um, so that was that's one they put out. Uh, Jamarcus Shepard is another one. Uh, that's another name that has been put out uh, there as well. Um, Alabama's wide receiver coach, he has worked under DeBoer for two years at Washington, so very familiar with what he wants to do. Uh, Nick Sheridan is another name, AL.com. Uh, put out Scott Huff. Now, he is the offensive line coach. Now, a lot of people think he would go with uh, Grubb to Washington, uh, to Seattle, we'll see. And then just Kalen Abor, just, <laughs> just name himself the offensive coordinator. Which, I guess, you know, you could do that for a year and just see how it works. So, we'll see. It's going to be interesting. So, more news with Alabama. Uh, that was speculated and thrown out there. Uh, I know Pro Football Talk was one when Mike Forio had mentioned that he would be a candidate for the Seattle Seahawks office coordinator job. So we'll see where Alabama goes at, and uh, we'll talk about it. If Alabama hires a new coordinator, we will talk about it here on the show. All right, well, let's jump into the interviews. First up, I'll be joined by Brandon Silvers. Of course, as I said on the top, played for Detroit Trojans at quarterback from 2013 to 2017, one of the best Detroit quarterbacks of all time, in my opinion. And also last year he played in the XFL and spent time in some other leagues, so training camps in the NFL. So we uh, we jump a different a bunch of different football conversation uh, talking points with him. And then Matt Marshall from the Orlando Sentinel recovers college football in Central Florida. Uh, we get into about a good ten minutes about just kind of the state and what's been going on with college football since the season has ended. And also we'll talk Central Florida, of course. You know Gus Malzahn's coaching down there, and also uh, KJ Jefferson, the Arkansas transfer coming over to Central Florida. So, anyways, Brandon Silver's first, and then Matt Marshall after that, and then I will wrap up the show after those two interviews. All right, welcome back in to the Phil Jordan Show, and joining me on the show right now is Brandon Silver's, uh, played quarterback for the Troy Trojans from 2013 to 2017, in my opinion, one of the greatest Troy Trojan quarterbacks, and uh, also has spent time in the uh, National Football League, the AAF, the Spring League, and the XFL. And uh, Brandon, I appreciate you coming on a few minutes and uh, and talk with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me on again. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That's my fault for waiting uh, two years to have you all to get. I was looking at our past messages, uh, but uh, yeah, I appreciate you coming on and uh, coming on the show. And you know, you know, we're recording this on Monday, so everybody's reacting and everybody's uh, talking about uh, what happened in the Super Bowl. Just uh. uh did it go to about the way you thought it was going to go? Uh, not at all. Um, I, did <laughs> have the, I did have the Chiefs winning, but I didn't know it was going to be a, a field goal game, uh, probably just like everyone else. Um, you know, the kickers, it was a kicker show, and, you know, I thought it was going to be a lot more touchdown scored, and, uh, you know, I'm an offensive guy, so I was hoping to see a big-time offensive performance, but uh, we didn't really see much to the second half. Um, but you know, it was, you kind of you just can't bet against Patrick Mahomes. 
no, I, it, it's almost like, you know, just me watching as a fan, it kind of reminds me of, of Brady. It's just, it's almost inevitable. If you, when the 49ers kicked a field goal, I had a bunch of friends over watching the game in, in overtime. I said, oh, they just messed up. They just gave Patrick Mahomes the ball. And he always has to just get a touchdown. It's just, he's almost got like that Brady-esque quality to him right now. Yeah, you're just kind of watching it, and you're just like, oh, they're ahead. It's okay. Patrick Mahomes has, what, a minute 50-something. They're going to go down there at least get a field goal. So it's kind of just like that last drive. It's like, all right, go down there, kick the field goal. Let's, let's see overtime. You just you just knew that they were going to go tie it up or win the game uh, at the end of the fourth quarter. And then after they kicked the field goal and overtime, you just knew they were going to go down there and score. So it was just – it's just like Tom Brady back in his day. And, you know, it's just now it's Patrick Mahomes' time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And just and just watching them play, and obviously you play in a position. Um, you know, everybody looks at the wow throws that Patrick Mahomes does make, but what kind of you know stuff that you see that maybe the fan doesn't see, but somebody that's played position sees out of Patrick Mahomes? His legs. I mean, you look in the second half, he had the fourth and one to get down there. I, I believe that was to uh, that was an overtime to go win it. I mean, that was fourth and one. You just knew that he was going to make it so it's like you're not even worried about it um you know just using his legs after really they contained him for the first half for the most part and then he got he got out of the pocket a little bit made some great scrambling throws like people forget he he can run as well when he needs to so you know really obviously he got a huge arm but just breaking out of the pocket and getting those first downs with his feet i think pretty much won them the game yeah, it was. And, uh, um, yeah, like I said, he doesn't do it a lot, but when he does it, it's effective. You know, on the other side, Brock Purdy, of course, you know, a lot of conversations about him coming in. It's, oh, look, he's got all the talent around him, which, you know, you look at any team that's successful, there's talent all over the field. But, anyways, you know, he gets that game manager label put on him, which I, I don't really like because it sounds like that's a negative. People say that. But, uh, what's kind of been your thoughts on Brock Purdy? I think he's one of the playing the best, one of the best quarterbacks in the league right now yeah does he have talent around him but like who, who doesn't like yeah he might have more talent around him than this other cat but it doesn't matter he makes plays and I don't see a negative deal about being a game manager like he manages the game better than anyone if you want to call him that so it's like he gets the ball in the right places like I, I don't understand like the guy that guy's done to be the last pick in the draft and he's made huge playoff runs last year he gets hurt in the nfc championship game so that's can't help that and then he wheels them all the way to the super bowl in his second year being the last pick in the draft so it's just a lot of hate going on and people mm-hmm. thinking that oh well that could be me i could do that now like you know i'm gonna say no names but like just a lot of hate going on towards that guy like acting like a game manager is such a terrible deal and he's not because you look early in the playoffs. He had two come from behind wins. That's not a game manager. Like that is a playmaking quarterback. So it's just a lot of hate, and you know, maybe he's not a wild wow factor. He has a huge arm like Mahomes or Josh Allen or any of those guys. But all that, all that guy does is win, and that'd be fine for me if you want to label me as a game manager. Because if I'm in the Super Bowl and you're not, I, I could care less what people would have to say. Yeah, you bring it up. It's, it's, that should not even be a negative way. Some people talk about, you know, some media people, a former Auburn quarterback, uh, Cam Newton, uh, he's been very vocal about it. But uh, when you play position, isn't kind of part of playing quarterback being a game manager? 
Yeah, that's perfect. You know, it, you look at a lot of guys are game managers. That's fine. Like that's how you manage the game. Like you, you're not going to cost your team. You know, with all those guys they have on offense, like you need that kind of game management. How you manage the game um, in a certain way. There's certain times where hey, take the sack here. Don't try to you know throw it into a tight window and just punt it. And that's you know you that's that's also pretty good game managing when you have to make those decisions and that's fine sometimes some people will throw it into those tight windows like sometimes i do you know it is what it is but you know you, you, you kind of shouldn't worry about the whole game manager deal like that guy wins he he throws the ball downfield and cam newton i mean I, yes he's the mvp and made it to the super bowl but he's, he's just sitting back you know he had his chances the last couple of years he ain't even been a game manager or a playmaker so you got guys like that are just sitting back just trying to hate on a young young quarterback and it's just you know it's not good for the game no it's not it is it's a great story i kind of found something myself rooting for the 49ers last night and i'm a packers fan so i still kind of have hurt feelings from a few weeks ago <laughs> when uh they talked about the packers but oh talking about your your alma mater detroit trojans of course john sumrall i uh, left i think last time we talked uh, chip Lindsay was still there john sumrall had not become the head coach yet at troy just uh, just kind of looking at john sumrall what he did at troy um uh, how was he able to take you know he went three straight years no bowl games about five wins every year and then also now Troy's back-to-back Sun Belt champions. What what did you see out of John John Sumrall that made him to take Troy back where most Troy fans expect him to be? Well, he brought back that grit, that grit when Neil was there, when he was when Coach Sumrall was there. First time he knew he was there and how it where we were in 2014, then to where when I left in 2017, like he, he was there a part of that staff and. He integrated that again, and with Trip, with Chip, it was too much laid back stuff and uh, a bunch of other stuff. But I won't comment on. But it's just more laid back, and like, you can't. It's not how you win. That's not how Troy's ever won like that. You got to have that that Troy edge that's going to say, "Hey, we don't care who we're playing. We're going to go in there and at least compete." Um, and that's what Summerall brought back was that Troy edge. And I mean, you look and. You know, three losing seasons, and then all of a sudden you went back to back double digit games. Like you went to some about championships, so you know, well, you can't ask for much more of that. Yeah, and, you know, I think it was the first game. It was the first game he coached. Uh, they played. They're playing on Myth, and I think there was a bad call, a penalty that he didn't agree with, and just you know, you look at the sideline, he got very passionate and animated over it. But also, I see it as just again, just as a fan. Uh, a coach fighting for his team as a player if you see your coach doing that how much does that mean to a player uh, when your coach does that it means everything you know he's just not gonna let let it let it go um and you know just all right whatever no like that man cares like john summerall cared about that bringing championship swagger back to troy um that's why i wanted him to get it uh when they, after Neil left and you know, athletic department went a different way, you know, the wrong way in my opinion. But then we finally bring him back and, you know, he goes off and does that because he actually cares. Like, he just, it ain't just a re- regular job to him. Like, it, Troy meant something to him. So I, I was glad to see him come in there and be successful. And then, you you know, other opportunities come when you win like that. So it, it, it is what it is. And he was right to do so. Um, 
So I, I sent him a text saying thank you for doing everything you did. And, you know, I'm happy for him. And, of course, now to bring in uh, Jared Parker coming in, uh, what, what was uh, your thoughts and your takeaways from him, his press conferences, everything he's done with Troy so far since taking over at head coach? Well, the main thing he he brought back, finally announced, brought back my quarterback coach and Sean Reagan. So um, that, that's all I wanted. Um, I wanted my coach to get a shot at being an offense coordinator and calling plays. Um, and that's really that's all I can really say right now is that I'm just happy he brought Coach Reagan back. And, um, you know, there's not many quarterbacks that you know, me, Corey, um, Caleb uh, for his last year. Uh, I mean, you name it, that guy's been in that quarterback room for a lot of people who put up some good numbers there. So, now I was excited for Coach Reagan to get his opportunity with Troy. Yeah, I was looking at just the, you know, of course, you, Levi Brown, Corey Robinson, you bet you have Caleb Barker, just some of the quarterbacks. And I was, he uh, recruited, I was reading the story, recruited Gunnar Watson when he came to Troy. And then also Goose Crowder, who's there now, but when he was at West Virginia, brought him in. But uh, when you were around him, what, what are some big things that he helped you in your development? It's just simplifying everything. You know, these days, people want to be so complicated and doing all this and all that when it really is you try to make the game as simple as possible. Look, you got an air raid. If you got if you look backside, you got a soft corner, you're probably going to have a hitch. You ain't got to worry about nothing to do with the O-line, nothing going on to the field. If you have quick game and you got a backside corner soft you throw that hitch and you take it right now you don't think about nothing else that's all you think about and obviously more plays you know you got to go through but like it's just that's just one part of simplifying everything um and like in the pros like some people try to make it way too complicated and that's when you see the people not playing um confident and i feel like he did a great job with me and me knowing the whole system, playing four years, uh, just making it simple and just going out there and attacking. Because I felt confident about everything I was doing. Yeah, and I, I was reading his bio over on, on the Troy Athletes website and coaching running backs too, Jordan Chun, uh, Brandon Burns, two very successful running backs at Troy. Obviously, you know that. But I think that's probably a really good thing too when you look at that. Because you look at him, he just didn't coach quarterbacks, coach running backs. So the overall offense, as he knows pretty much the ins and outs of what to do, just what kind of offense do you expect him to run at Troy? Uh, it's it's going to be just like exactly almost. Um, it's going to be a balanced offense with air raid schemes. Um, you know, try to run the ball and pass the ball you know, 50% of the time each. So it's just going to be that's how we were in my last couple of years. Cause we always, always had Sean, so he needed to get the ball. Um, it's going to be a lot of air raid concepts. Um, uh, I, th- I think the last two years they've had a lot of 12, 13 personnel. I don't think you're going to see much of that um, with two and three tight ends. So uh, we never did much of that. Um, but, you know, you never know. I haven't been with him in a couple of years, obviously, when he's been at uh, West Virginia. So, you know, your offense has evolved, but. You know, I just know him being an air raid guy, but no one run the ball as well. So, um, I, I, I expect to take shots and, you know, just put a lot of points on the board. Be better, at least. <laughs> uh, 
Oh, uh, yeah, I talked about Gunnar Watson too. Of course, uh, ended up his Troy career after the bowl game, which that, that was a, I know it was a bad situation. He had been sick that week, and just you know, I, I'm just gonna say this, and I don't know if I've told you, Brandon, I am now a Troy student too, going online to get my finish up my school there. So it may sound a little biased on this. I think Troy would have won had Gunnar been healthy, but that, I'm just gonna leave it at that. But uh, what, what did you see out of him in his final year there, Troy? Because it seemed like every year he was there, there was. Another quarterback, he kind of split times with somebody. But this past year, he you knew from start to finish he was the guy. Uh, what kind of big improvements had you seen with Gunnar Watson throughout his career, particularly that last year at Troy? Yeah, I just uh, – well, Gunnar came on a visit the weekend before we went down to New Orleans. Well, so I met him down there, so that's, that's how long he's been there. So let me just put that out there. Everyone gave me a hard time for being there for a long time. But not like all some of these players that just got done. But – I, I always kept up with Gunner. Um, I always felt bad in a way of like, well, he sits behind Caleb, and then Chip comes in, brings his own guy, and he he gets thrown in there sometimes. They get taken out, and then Summerall's first year, he's playing. I don't I don't know if he's playing that well. And then Daggy comes in, um, and it's just kind of like with all that stuff that's been on, like he finally like I felt play confident this past year because he knew he was the guy and he wasn't thinking about nothing else because he's just confident in being himself and being the guy and not having to worry about all these other things that like he just took advantage of his you know opportunity this year so uh, i was happy for him the way he finished i mean winning two sunbelt titles pretty damn good yeah absolutely and i still remember uh uh, the first one, uh, just the epic game he had there against Coastal Carolina, uh, went all off on them on that one. That first time about title, um, spring football. Uh, guess I'll just lead it with this. Just as someone that's played in the XFL and you played in the AAF, uh, you played in the spring league. Um, the, the merger, the two leagues merging, was that a surprise for you when that came about? Uh, not really. I knew they had to merge because XFL lost quite a bit of money in the USFL, in my opinion. I, I, the viewership of it, no one was really keeping up with it. And for the most part, um, I feel like our XFL brand was a lot better than theirs. Um, so we knew we kind of had to kind of merge. Um, so it's good. I didn't know they were going to merge on eight teams. I thought they would do it at 12. Um, but, you know, I've, I've been grateful to be able to have those leagues and keep on playing. Um, my family still enjoys having enjoyed me over the years, going and keeping on playing because I enjoy it. Um, so I'm very grateful for those leagues um, to come about. Um, you know, we'll see about the UFL um, coming up. Still trying to figure out what, you know, what's best for me. Um, so, yeah, I'm just. We'll see what happens with this UFL, if, they, if it makes it or not. You know, I've been privileged, privileged to play in all of them. So I just enjoy the game, and, and I still got a little bit left in me. So, you know, we'll see. A uh, lot like last year. How, how often do you uh, do you guys get to see The Rock? Does he come around a lot, or, you know, what's kind of like the deal with that? Well, for the draft, we had the draft in Vegas, and I got to meet him out there. So that was pretty cool. I've been able to hang out with some pretty cool people over the years, but that was probably the first one I was just like, holy, holy shit, this is the rock. But, um, so I got to meet him along with a bunch of other quarterbacks got too. So, um, not his, 
uh, ex-wife Danny was around a lot more because, you know, The Rock's a busy man. Like, he's doing everything. So, mm-hmm. uh, and we, I saw him maybe twice. So, but I got to meet him, you know, once and talk with him. So, that was cool. You know, and look, I get online. I, I'm in some Facebook groups uh, that talk about last year, particularly the XFL and USFL. And you always got people. I, I'm like one of these people. Like, I'm just happy to have more football. I, I, I like watching both leagues. I, you know, I'm just not one of these that's going to hate one and love that. I just I like them all. But with the players like yourself playing the XFL, was there a little bit of a rivalry between the two leagues, or was it just hey, we're just happy everybody's getting this opportunity? Yeah, that's exactly like I got. Um, I got buddies in the USFL, and I had a lot of buddies in the XFL. So you know, I would watch my buddies' games. But I, and my, I enjoy watching a game, and there's fans in the stands. Like I played in that spring league, and there was no fans. Like it was just, I, it wasn't fun. So for me, in my career, I was like, I'm going back to the XFL because I know there's going to be fans there. Um, and I do not want to play in a stadium with no fans like I did in the spring league during COVID, but I wasn't doing anything. So I knew I needed to go do something and keep playing. So, um, I just did that to make relationships and, you know, that was kind of a, it was a fun deal because it wasn't that serious. So, but, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for both of the leagues because a lot of it's, People don't realize how hard it is to even get to an NFL team, and then it's even harder to stay on. Um, so it's just tough. You just got to fall into the right situation. And um, when I was with the Jets, I wasn't. So. Yeah, you know, and I'm, I got like two more questions for you. Uh, on the on the field interviews. Now, obviously, we're sitting at home. We see it. We see. Okay, they go to the camera. There's whoever's the sideline reporter, and then there you are getting interviewed. Do they just come up to you and there's a camera and they just start interviewing? Do they say, hey, I'm about to ask you a few questions? How does that work? Well, yeah, there's always someone that works with the interviewers. So they'll kind of come up to you. If it's at the touchdown, they'll come up to you and be like, hey, can you do an interview real quick? And you'll be like, yes. You're not, you're not going to say no and, and kind of be a, an ass. But, yeah, they just come up and ask you all types of questions. I mean, I got interviewed right before uh, – Right before the kickoff, they want to interview me. Almost right at kickoff, I had to run all the way down to the opposite side of the field to go on the field for a game. Like, like so, like I'm like, oh, I'm trying to get ready for the game. And then they invite you to come over and interview, and then you're like, oh, I got to be out in the field. Like, well, most of the time it's after a score or something like that, so you got a little bit. But like, I've done interviews right before we step out on the field before so it's fun yeah I, I there was one game i was watching arlington was in it and i think it was early on in the year and you could hear it in the broadcast because i know it was with mcelroy and uh, cole kublik and mcelroy was in the booth just agging on cole to go down there and ask bob stoops a question like i, I think it was after a bad player so it was just kind of funny that i think it was the first game or two of last year and it's, i think cole Cubit was almost like afraid to go, <laughs> go up to bob stoops and uh ask a question so it, it is a it, it's kind of as a viewer it's kind of cool but i just kind of wonder how it is for you guys and the coaches you know because y'all know obviously you're, you're focused on the game but then here comes a, an interview right there on the sideline yeah no those two are uh they're funny and i always always mess with cole and and greg and 
especially those we played San Antonio and I just got hit all game long and like I was messing with them in the next week about something I forgot but I've always been cool with them because Greg did it the, um, in 2020 I, I was as well so then Cole's a Birmingham guy so he's always down in Orange Beach so I always do interview if they ask so you know last question you know to, um, last year when you, with the Houston Roughnecks uh, head coach Wade Phillips and then obviously off of the corner AJ Smith and uh, you guys really the way the offense worked really had an exciting fun offense put up a lot of numbers a lot of great stats you guys went seven three i know the season didn't go like you guys wanted to when you got to the playoffs but uh just those two guys what what was what playing for them and really what helped make the offense work yeah i played for aj smith in that spring league and i, I loved the offense it was just he's got the same background as me air raid and a little run and shoot so you know that's why i skipped out on the usfl to go back to the xfl because i know he was gonna um want me there with them so you know it's just and those guys are just really players player coaches and especially Wade Wade's probably the most player coach I've been around just because he gets it he ain't trying to run you into the ground you know he 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 was a player he's been a coach for a long time so it was really great playing for those guys and you know it was we were really hot going start the season and I get hurt in week six to my throwing arm um, just wasn't ever the same after that. So, you know, hopefully I'll get another shot. And if not, um, I'm pretty fine with my career, how it planned out. So, Well, I know speaking uh, down here in the Dothan area, obviously we're close to Troy. We're hoping to see you on the field this spring. Uh, look forward to it. Uh, get to see you play. And I once again, Brandon, I appreciate you coming on. Is there anything out there uh, you want to like talk about or plug or anything like that before I let you go? No, I think I think we covered most of it. You know, I'm, I'm excited to see what Troy has. Um, you know, I'll definitely be coming up to more games and stuff like that because, you know, I, I'm just excited for Coach Reagan getting that opportunity. Um, he's very close to me, kept up with me over the years. So I'm um, just excited for him and his family moving back down to Troy. So um just excited for them. All right, sounds good. Uh, Brandon, once again, hope to see you on the field uh, in – Almost two months. Uh, we're getting, well, everybody's, you know, Super Bowl ended, but now, hey, we got football right around the corner uh, with the UFL and everything else. But, uh, again, Brandon, I appreciate you coming on the show, and I hope we can do this again sometime down the road. Yeah, for sure. Uh, thanks for having me again. All right, everybody, my next guest on this week's edition of the Philip Jordan Show, I am joined, longtime friend of the show, Matt Marshall. You can check him out over at the Orlando Sentinel, where he covers Central Florida and college football. And, Matt, I appreciate you coming on the show. No problem. Thanks for having me on, Philip. I appreciate you asking me. Oh, yeah. It's always a, a great time talking college football with you. And uh, we were just joking off the air that a little over a month ago, Michigan won the national championship. And I think a lot of people have forgotten about that fact. <laughs> it does seem like that, doesn't it? Like we've had a month <laughs> since then. And, and it seems like every time you turn around, there's some big breaking story going on in college football, whether it's all a lawsuit or something going on with realignment or NIL or a coach leaving or going to, you know, a coach retiring. And it's just, it's, it's never, it never ends. And so you feel like you're just trying to basically uh, catch up with everything as, as, as we keep moving forward. But yeah, Michigan did win the national championship, you know, and Jim Harbaugh now is, is over in, uh, you know, is over on, on the West coast trying to get the Chargers ready to be a, uh, hopefully an NFL contender. 
Yeah, that was probably the least shocking coaching news we've had since the regular since the season ended when Michigan won the title was Jim Harbaugh was going to go to the NFL. It was like I was also like, yes, and water is also wet. There's no shock uh, that he was going to leave. But uh, I'll ask you this, you know, of course, you know, I'm here in Alabama. I mean, this is a, a story that's over a month old, but people are still talking about it. Uh, the retirement of Nick Saban. Uh, did did that catch you by surprise? Yeah, it did a little bit. I mean, I, you know, I always felt like Nick Saban was one of those guys who was just going to keep going and going and going, you know what I mean? And probably outlast, you know, a, a whole generation of coaches, young coaches coming in. But um, I think when you look around, when you look at how the, the college landscape has changed a little bit, you know, and, and, and you, you look at his age a little, and I don't know if the age is really even a factor, but, you know, you look at everything that, that kind of goes along with college athletics, and you can kind of see maybe where – you know, older coaches maybe get a little bit tired of, of, of dealing with that. You know, it's a big challenge when you think about it. I mean, you've got NIL and name, image, and likeness and how that's being operated. You look at the transfer portal. You talk about recruiting. Um, you know, college football coaches back in the day, back in the, the 50s, 60s, and 70s, you know, they worked maybe nine months out of the year. Uh, you know, but these coaches now, I mean, they're working every, you know, 365 days. And they're they're out constantly recruiting, constantly doing things. And I think eventually that kind of all caught up with him. And I think he felt like this was the time where he can step away, he's still active, and he can still do stuff with his family and, and, and enjoy retirement rather than kind of be one of those coaches that, you know, you know, it has to be kind of forced out whether the, the things turn bad, you know, record-wise or, or whether, you know, you feel like your health isn't going to help you out. Um, it gives you a chance to do some things with your family. And I think that's where, where Nick kind of falls in. So, yeah, it was, it was a surprise, but – I think eventually we knew at some point he was going to end up not being there uh, and, and having to move on. Yeah, I remember somebody sent me uh, a screenshot of the story or the link. I thought, oh, that's got to be fake. It, it, he didn't retire. I mean, just because this is the way we in the state, you've been hearing it for so long, uh, it, age and everything else. And, of course, now he's going to be over on game day. And that's kind of like where I was going to go with it. I mean, the, you got to think NIL and Transfer Portal, just the extra, I hate to say it, work i mean you're know, saving guys like that like the work they, they're hard working they they love the grind and they're great at it but the time off is not there and it's just it feels like maybe being a head coach at the college game at least how everything is right now unless things change it's not going to really be for a guy of a nick saban's age maybe younger guys right now at the head coaching job just because of everything that they have to do with, with their roster recruiting nil and all that stuff yeah, I would agree with that. I, I think I think it's going to be a lot harder for for older coaches to really kind of go through that. And I mean, I'm not saying that these guys can't you know can't do it. I mean, it's just you know. But I've spoken to a lot of coaches of, of a different variety of ages, and you know, they talk about it. it's just it's daunting now. You know, I mean, you 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 really are spending so much time, you know, with your own players, trying to make sure they're happy and they're ready to go. And you know, then you, you you're out recruiting. You know, trying to get high school players to buy into what you're doing. And it used to be you could just you could convince a player to come to your school based on what your school had done and what your program was doing. But now it's about NIL, and you got to figure out what kind of you know money situation that's going on. So that requires a coach now to all of a sudden you've got to be out in the public eye. You've got to be doing events and finding ways to raise money for your NIL, uh, and you know also you know skirting the issue, you know skirting the, the the legal issues with it. You know making sure you're not violating any sort of rules by it. Um, which can be difficult when you look at, at the situation where, you know, each state has its own individual, you know, um, NIL laws in place and things are different and you're competing with schools maybe like 
let's take Nick Saban, for example. Your Alabama's competing with the Ohio State and the Michigans and the Tennessees, and all these programs are in different states, and they have different rules. And so they can do things that maybe you can't, or you can do things that they can't. So it's, it's really challenging. And, you know, trying to get all that together and figure that out, plus you're also trying to raise money for facilities and for your own athletic department. That's a whole other issue. And it can be really just daunting task right now. And not even just sitting down and, and doing X's and O's, which a lot of coaches really prefer. You know, it, it's just more about doing that. And then, and then there's the idea of you, you know, looking at your staff and adding more people to try to help you out. And that requires more work. And, you know, it, it's just, it can be, it's, like I said, it's really challenging. And I think a lot of coaches now are looking at this job thinking, okay, maybe, maybe going to the NFL is a better route. You know, maybe, maybe going somewhere where all I have to focus on is coaching players rather than worrying about this stuff is the way to go. And I, I think you've seen a little bit of that, you know, this off season, but I don't think it's a, a cry for help that you know we've seen some of these guys leave i think it's just the way the business of, of, of college athletics is right now what remains to be seen is what's going to happen in the near future or you know if that if things change and all of a sudden you know college athletes become employees like we've kind of seen talk about then that changes really kind of how everything is and there are a lot of old school coaches who don't want to be a part of that yeah i mean you mentioned a lot with boston college jeff halfley going to take the packers defense coordinator job but even a a power, you know, conference, t- you know, team as a head coach to go be an assistant, a coordinator, and then Chip Kelly. I mean, we saw that he was interviewing for NFL office coordinator jobs. Why he's still the head coach at UCLA now? He's going to Ohio State to be office coordinator. So you know, those are names you just you just kind of see that it is kind of like you look at it and you're like, wow. I mean, that that's kind of shocking to see a coach do that. But you're right. I mean, at the end of the day, a lot of these guys might be saying, hey. I just want to coach ball. I don't want to deal with all that other stuff. Yeah, it's very much so. I think in the Jeff Hafley case, you know, I think, you know, there, he was under a lot of pressure. That, he was under a lot of scrutiny. And I, and I think, you know, uh, he was on the hot seat for, you know, most of the mm-hmm. last couple of years. And I think that, you know, maybe you look around and you think, okay, I'm just, I'm just done dealing with all this and I want to go to an NFL job where I can, especially a coordinator job, you're going to get paid well, maybe not college football head coach well, but you're going to get paid well. And like you said, you really don't have to do anything but focus on coaching your defense, coaching your players. You know, the players come to you, they're, they're signed, and, you, and you're and you drafted, and you, and you develop them, and you do those kind of things. You know, and the college realm, it's a lot of, di- a lot of different things. So um, that didn't surprise me nearly as much. I mean, it's Chip Kelly move again, much like Jeff Halfley. I, I think, you know, his time at, at UCLA had kind of run, a, run its course, and, you know, a lot of UCLA, fan, UCLA fans weren't necessarily broken up when he left you know so um in a lot of ways you know you look around and you think hey maybe it's, it's, it's better for me to go back to my roots and be an offensive coordinator and especially in a big 10 you know where i'm going to get paid a lot of money and i'm going to work with a, a program like ohio state which has done a lot has the resources to do things and you know i'm going to go in there and, and try to turn some things around there and get their offense going and you know who knows in a year or two you know i'm i'm you know i we, we win a national title at ohio state and you know, maybe I'm back to being a head coach somewhere, you know, depending on how that goes. I mean, we've seen a lot of coaches kind of do the similar thing in a way, you know, going to Alabama. But none of those coaches were sitting head coaches, you know, that decided to leave to become, you know, an assistant. Um, they had usually been out of jobs. So it's going to be interesting because I, I don't think it's going to end. But like I said, I've spoken to a couple of coaches. I asked them and they said, listen, I don't think this is a trend. That's a concerning trend. I just think you're seeing uh, coaches who are, trying to make transitions in their lives and decided it's a better chance to do what they're doing right now. 
Yeah, you know, which on another side of it, which it makes sense on this side, uh, South Alabama head coach Kane Womack, he left to go to be the defensive coordinator at Alabama. Of course, he's friends uh, with Kalen DeBoer from the time at Indiana. But I also told somebody, I was talking to somebody about that, and they said, why would you do that? I said, well, one, he's friends with him, so that's one thing. And you are going to Alabama. And two, that might actually be a quicker path to him getting a bigger head coaching job. So, you know, kind of you can yeah. see it on both sides. Yeah, very much so. And I, mean, I think that's where a lot of these, you know, these coaches bring in their bring in the guys that they're familiar with, guys that understand what they can do. And that was probably the pitch from Kalen DeBoer. It was like, listen, you can come here, and I know you're giving up a head coaching job, but, you know, stay here for two or three years and, you know, maybe there'll be a, a power five job that opens up, you know, that you're going to power four or whatever it's going to be now that you can, that you'll be more qualified to go after. I mean, that happens a lot of times or, or maybe you can, you know, who knows what's going to happen. And, you know, maybe you want to go to an NFL job, you know I mean? You'll have this experience here. So um, it's not like it used to be where giving up a head coaching job um, would be something that maybe looked upon like a frowned upon, you know, where, Oh, you know, you, you just can't cut it. It's more so as I'm just looking at a different opportunity and see what's going on. And, um, I mean, I think that's what happened there. And I think that's what, uh, I think a lot of people uh, are, are going to kind of see these trends. And like I said, I, I don't necessarily believe it's going to be something where we're going to be, well, was the, the game of college football. I mean, there's, there's more than enough young up and coming coaches that will jump at a chance for a job. You know what I mean? Right now mm-hmm. that, that will, that, that aren't going to just say, well, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I think they're going to have their opportunities. Yeah, talk about Nick Saban. A lot of coaches probably said, no, "Wow, we got a chance now." Nick Saban finally retired. So uh, there you go on that. <laughs> yeah, well, it's true. And you think about it, I mean, and, and you know, Jim Harbaugh leaves Michigan, so all of a sudden people are thinking, "Okay, well, Michigan's not going to be nearly as strong." And you know, you look at some of these programs that are at the top, and you start to see some of these coaches leaving, and you think, "Okay, well, maybe that opens the door for things." I think what people tend to forget too is let's not forget this is the this upcoming season will be the first season in the new uh, expanded twelve team playoffs. So you're going to get a lot of pro, you're going to get a lot of schools playing into the postseason this time around, and that's going to open up some opportunities for some from programs maybe to to sneak in there and get to that elite you know semifinal status. Uh, whereas maybe the Alabamas and the Michigans and the Ohio States have always been there dominating. Maybe you could see a couple schools from maybe on the the twelve to to nine range, you know, in that twelve team playoff that are going to find a way to maybe make some noise. Yeah, it, it is kind of wild how we kind of look at with this past season ending on how we're really in the new era of college football officially. The 12-team playoff, more with the NIL and transfer portal and all that other stuff. And then certain coaches are now gone. Like you said, Jim Harbaugh back in the NFL. Nick Saban's retired. It's just – it really, really feels like we're, we have officially like turned the page. We're in that new era. Yeah, I really do think we are. We are. I mean, it's, it's – uh, I mean, we have really – the, 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 everything has changed in the, in the last two years. I mean, really that quickly, which is incredible because if you think about it, the NCA and, and college athletics really doesn't move at that kind of speed. You know, I mean, the NCA is more of a you know glacial kind of movement. You know, what I mean, and 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 now you're seeing just things happening. We saw a realignment. We saw teams moving around. You're seeing conferences falling apart, like the Pac-12. You look at what's going on in, in you know with NIL, as you mentioned, and and you know how NIL is changing and. You know, they're still working with the government to try to find a way to maybe get some sort of universal, you know, um, legislation in place to, to kind of guardrail that. Um, and then you look at what's going on with the transfer portal and how the portal has really kind of have, uh, moved and evolved, and they're moving some dates around for that. So it's kind of interesting to see that happen. Yeah, it is. So we'll see. I mean, uh, as we're recording, something else may happen. So who knows where college football and the news cycle is going. Um, 
the Central Florida. Uh, that's the team uh, you cover there at the Orlando Sentinel. And, of course, where I'm at here in Alabama, we're, we're all familiar with Gus Malzahn. Um, what, is, uh, what is that like, uh, covering uh, this team and uh, covering Gus Malzahn? Well, it, it's been fun. I mean, you know, listen, Gus, Gus, obviously, you know, the way things ended at Auburn, you know, it didn't go like I think he thought would like to have seen it go. Um, he, he gets fired. Um, he told us flat out, you know, when he got hired at UCF, and I think it was about an eight-week period that he was out of a job, that he was pretty much resigned to the fact that he was probably going to do TV for that year. He thought he was going to be, a, you know, really kind of getting into the TV game with like a lot of, of past coaches have done. Um, but then he got the call from Terry Mahajer, you know, former boss at Arkansas State. And, you know, they just have clicked since they've gotten to UCF. And, you know, he's had some success. And, you know, now they make the move to – uh, the big 12 this past year. And it's, it's been a challenging move, you know, because again, you know, you're, you're trying to take a, a, a group of five programs for so many years and kind of push them into the power five without the necessarily financial resources and some of the physical resources that most power five schools who've been around have had. So um, he's, he's, he's had to deal with those challenges. He, he gave up play calling duties last year and then took him back in the middle of the season. And now he's going to be doing play calling duties again this year. And, you know, he's, he's changed his staff a couple times. I mean, he's tweaked things and um, it's, it's been interesting, you know, and I think he, he realizes that, you know, there's, there's a lot of potential at UCF, you know, that they've, they've hit a, a top point, you know, where they won the, the Peach Bowl a couple of years ago when they beat, you know, uh, Gus and his Auburn team. Um, and they were mentioned in the, in the college football playoff mix for a bit. And, you know, he feels like they can get back there. You know, they have the potential to do that. Uh, they've recruited well. They've got the best recruiting class they've had in all program time, the one they just signed. They brought in a lot of good quality transfers. And they look at their schedule now. Last year's schedule was brutal. It was a really road-heavy schedule that saw them travel more than 17,000 miles. I traveled with them for most of those miles, so I know it was brutal. Um, and... You know, now this next season, they get a lot of games at home that are going to be big draws. Colorado and Utah and Arizona now join the league. So um, Gus is excited. Gus is, is feeling like they, they can, the UCF can make some, some big noise in, in, in 2024. I know when, uh, I was looking at an interesting uh, hire, defense coordinator Ted Roof. I just find it interesting because this is a guy he's familiar with because he practiced his offense at Auburn under Gene Shizik, went up against Ted Roof as uh, defense, uh, especially their national championship year two, two, uh, 2010. Uh, just uh, your thoughts on that addition to the to the coach staff? Yeah, you know it was interesting because I think you know he he had promoted Addison Williams to be the defensive coordinator last year, and I think you obviously saw the defense had some issues. You know they they couldn't stop the run. They were worst the worst team in the in the Big Twelve last year at stopping the run. They I think they had ten players rush for over a uh, hundred yards in games against them last year and. You know, just really just couldn't find a way to stop the run at all. You could see they were getting outmaneuvered and, and out physical. Um, and, you know, so I had a feeling that Addison Williams wasn't going to get fired, but I felt like at some point that, you know, they, w- they would make a move. And so it makes sense that Gus brings in some familiar uh, name and, and Ted Roof. Ted developed a reputation for producing, you know, top rushing defenses. That's a big plus for them. The Big 12 is more of a rushing league, it seems like, over the last couple of years. So they bring Ted Roof in. They keep Addison Williams. They kind of move him to the co-defensive coordinator spot. We know Ted's going to also do the linebackers. He's going to coach linebackers, which is a huge move um, because, you know, they're, they're going to have a whole new linebacking core of guys who basically transfer. So that's going to be big. And then Addison can focus on the, the secondary and, and you know, the, 
the, the cornerbacks and safeties who did a, an outstanding job last year. So I think that all in all, it works out well. And, you know, they, they want to, you know, I think they brought in some other guys, Trayvon Reed uh, from Auburn as well to be the cornerback coach. He's already paid off in recruiting because he helped them flip a, 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 a player the other day. He was a four star. He committed to, to Auburn and now it's flipped to go to UCF. It's the highest ranked player they've ever had. Um, so, uh, I mean, things that moves that Gus is making are starting to pay off, and I think that's the, one of the reasons why he brought in a guy like Ted Roof. And then looking on offense, just one of the bigger transfer portal signings, bringing in KJ Jefferson. Uh, obviously, you know the thing at Arkansas, they tried to change the offense. Danny, you know, they tried to run more of a pro style offense versus what they ran with Kendall Riles. It just didn't work, and they couldn't protect them either, and they couldn't run the ball. But obviously, a talent. Uh, big, we see what Gus Malzahn has done with a big, mobile, athletic quarterback in the past. I'm not trying to make any uh, lofty comparisons here, but still adding him with Gus. I think KJ Jefferson and Gus Malzahn's offense is a perfect fit. Uh, what's your thoughts on just KJ Jefferson coming in and how he fits with this UCF team? So oh, yeah, I think he fits perfectly what they're trying to do. I mean, and, and the thing is, you're going to get those comparisons. He's, you're going to see the comparisons to Cam Newton. That's the guy that really kind of has the same body type, same type of game that, you know, K.J. Jefferson has. And I think, you know, when you see that and you know that Gus, what Gus was able to do at Cam, then you think, okay, well, you know, I'm going to go in this offense and I'm going to have the same sort of success and thrive. And I, I think the benefit that what K.J. is going to get from playing in this offense this next time around is, you know, that the fact that, you know, UCF is going to push the ball downfield more. You know, they are going to also take advantage of, you know, his arm. They're also going to try to make sure they've got a, a, a talented group of receivers. Kobe Hudson comes back, a guy had over 900 yards last year, um, who's, who's really believes that he can have, he can be the next thousand yard receiver for this, for this program. Um, they bring back their, their top running back in RJ Harvey, but over 1400 yards rushing the football. Their offensive line has three or four returning stars that are back. They brought in some transfers to help out there as well. I mean, there are pieces around him that I think will help him out. He's not walking into a situation where, you know, he's got nothing to he, – he's got to be the man the whole time. I think he realizes there are more than enough players to get the ball to and let them do the some, some of the things they're able to do, much like the way that, that uh, you know, John Rice Plumley did last year, in you know, the last couple of years, which was getting the ball to the to your receivers and, and your running backs and run the ball. And, and I think, too, I think you're going to see UCF run the ball a little bit more than they did last year. I think they want to kind of get back to running the game and that's where you can use Jefferson's size and mobility really well. I mean, whether it's dedicated runs, uh, RPOs, whether you're, you know, want to, you know, have him scramble out of the pocket with, if pressure kind of starts to get there, um, you feel like he can do those kind of things. And you, know, you hope that he's, he's, you know, he's been solid for the last three seasons, really been, you know, not, you know, has had a lot of health issues, which I think uh, would, would be, be a huge draw for them. And um, I, like I said, I think, his maturity kind of works, and, and Gus has really been high on him. I think he's a guy that can step in there and really kind of continue what UCF is trying to do. Yeah, and you're talking about the run game. I mean, when in 2022, when he had a healthy Rocket Sanders next to him in the backfield, just that Arkansas offense was tough to deal with. And when he didn't have that run game, when everybody can just key on him, it, it shows last year. And like you said, with that, with Gus Malzahn's offense, and then with with the running game, with Harvey there at running back, I mean, that really can open things up, like you said, with everybody else. So I think it should be a very exciting uh, time uh, for Central Florida fans and supporters looking forward to next season with him there. No, oh, yeah, I, I think that exactly. I mean, everyone's excited. I mean, and then, and then they they brought in some good transfers, uh, some other guys, uh, you know, besides him as well, you know, to really kind of 
boost what they're trying to do. You know, they feel like they've got um, they've got a, a good core of guys coming back. Uh, I know offensively, I think they only return forty percent of their production, but you know, the guys they return, they feel like are going to be big type playmakers. Uh, then you look at you know what they've done on the defensive side. If they can get the defensive line short up and they can stop the run better, um, there's going to be opportunities to win some games. I mean, you look at the schedule uh, going into next year, and and it's legitimately like you feel like they could they could either be five and one or six and zero oh to start out the year. I mean, that's how kind of uh, I feel like that when you look at, at UCF schedule, like where they can really kind of push themselves. Um, but again, you know, they've got to stay healthy. They've got to have a good spring and they got to make sure that they can they can go out there and, and do all the things they need to do um, because you know again new hampshire starts things off san houston you know they're at tcu they get colorado at home and then they're at florida and then cincinnati comes home and those, that's a stretch right there where i think there's very winnable games each one of those games is very winnable um and then you know you go on the second half of that season it's going to be a little tougher and they're going to have some road games later on that are going to be they're going to be difficult but i think again this could be a, a bounce back year for them where you know, maybe they're they get to eight, you know, eight or nine wins this year, and and they're in contention with the with the Big Twelve championship. You know, and I think that's that's not wouldn't be out of out of uh, out of you know far fetched to believe that because I think they do have enough players to do that, but they have to make sure they have enough depth and, and, and enough uh, enough experience in some of those positions, especially at linebacker. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be an interesting team to watch uh, this spring and see how that's going and pay attention to that and. Also, during uh, during next season, which everybody can go do so by checking you out over at the Orlando Sentinel. And uh, just tell the listeners and uh, everybody else, uh, how can they find you? Yeah, they can go to OrlandoSentinel.com to catch up on the latest, uh, you know, or they can follow me on, on is it X now or Twitter or whatever that people like to follow. Um, it's OS Matt Rochelle. I'm on there as well. And um, also on uh, threads and all sorts of things, Instagram, all, all the social media things I'm out there on. So, they can catch all my, my latest stories. All right, everybody, go give Matt a follow. And, uh, Matt, I appreciate you, you coming on and uh, talking all things college football, a little UCF in there too as well. Appreciate it, and I look forward to when we can do this again. Yeah, I look forward to it too. I'm looking uh, looking forward to the season startup. It's just hard to imagine. We only got about a, two or three weeks, and we're back to spring football. So it, it never ends, right? It's always, always around the corner. All right, once again, thanks to – Brandon Silvers and Matt Marshall for being on the show. Really appreciate the conversation. Really fun conversation with Brandon and Matt. Just fantastic football conversations there. Uh, anyways, and that's going to do it for this week's edition of the show. As I said last week, we're going to one episode a week and probably going to be that way until we get to college football season. If some big things happen, maybe like an emergency pod or a quick solo pod or something like that. But outside of that, we're kind of at one episode a week for right now. And I'll let you guys know if that is going to change. Remember, you can follow me on social media at P. Jordan SCC. The podcast is available over at wiregrassdailynews.com or wherever you get your podcast. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please follow, rate, and review. Leave a review. I will read it on a future edition of the show. And if you leave just four stars, you're just a straight-up hater. You can check out the show over on YouTube at the Philip Jordan Sports YouTube channel. Hit the subscribe button. Hit the bell for all notifications. And please leave a comment on the video. And also, Read those on a future edition as well. And also, you can check out all my written work over at Last Word on College Football. Everybody has a great week. We'll talk to you next week. Until next time, bye-bye. Thanks for listening to The Philip Jordan Show. Subscribe to the audio podcast on Apple Podcasts. 
Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can watch the show over at the Philip Jordan Media YouTube channel. Got a question or topic idea? Email the show at sportstalkphilipjordan at gmail.com. Join us next time for more great football talk.